Was the birth of Jesus really prophesied? And if so, what's the backstory to those divine claims? Welcome to Word for the Week, Season 2, Episode 45. Join us as we look at the top four prophecies of Christ's birth. Well, we're making quite a claim here. What makes these passages the top four Christmas prophecies? <laughs> me. I may. <laughs> <laughs> well, what it is actually is what hit me with the most interest. Uh, and, and there are actually a number of reasons that I, I did find myself more interested. And uh, first deals with a, a matter of time in which they come. Uh, which is? Well, uh, when we think of the birth of Jesus, of course, what do we think of? The birth of Jesus at that time. And in fact, okay. we're moving back actually eight centuries before that time. And uh, some of the texts we're looking at were really de de delving into Old Testament mm -hmm. uh, prophecies. And around 150 years before, uh, the original Israel ceased to exist. And I say the original because, you know, Israel formed, they fell to uh, some empires and then were reformed uh, against all odds later on. Mm -hmm. So 150 years before uh, the original Israel disappeared, mm -hmm. uh, there were a series of prophets who, who said what, uh, what was to come. And at the time, uh, the nation was uh, still under God, quote unquote, but it was divided into two really bitter factions. They were polarized. Everybody had their strong hmm. opinions. Sounds so familiar. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> there were two capitals. Um, there was the capital of Samaria in the north and the capital of Jerusalem in the south. Uh, both sides uh, had reached a point of no return. This is it. When this is going mm -hmm. on, it's like uh, this was uh, the point at which uh, the fall was going to happen. Uh, they had fallen out of a relationship with God, and this is what was going to come out. Mm -hmm. So the prophecies, as far as we're looking at them today, they're marked in uh, three things. One is, like I said, the certain destruction which would come because of their consistent and persistent choices. Right. <laughs> um, there's the theme of a remnant that's very, very strong through all of this. Mm -hmm. And then, of course, uh, the theme we're looking at since it's Christmas, <laughs> that's what we're, we're going for is the idea of a future Messiah who would be divine, who would be man and God, who would be savior and king. So, Which that's, that's kind of confusing since the nation would cease to exist. Yeah, you'd be going, well, you just said the nation's yeah. going to stop existing. How is it that there will be a savior king in the nation? Well... God has this way of making things happen. Yes, he does. So what else puts them in the top four? Well, um, they're dealing with the idea of a real-life situation we tend to ignore. Like, here, here's the thing, and I'm glad we do. We go out, we see these blissful Christmas lights. Uh, everything seems so serene. We sing songs that we all love, like Silent Night. Mm. Uh, there's this really kind of blissful heir to the idea of Christmas and peace and all of this stuff. Right. But the truth is, when we look at these prophecies, the world, uh, Israel, was anything but. Um, yeah. uh, this, uh, there was a lot of 
uh, bitter fighting going on within the, the, the nation itself. There were savage and invulnerable enemies outside. There was a picture of doom that was going on. Mm. So the idea, and the reason we mention all of that, it's not to bring people down about Christmas, but the idea is actually to raise it up. Mm. The majesty and the power here is that a divine figure of peace coming into this seemed like a ridiculous impossibility even as desperately as it was needed. Mm -hmm. So this is the background that, that we're talking from. This is real life stuff going on, not just a, a little Christmas play like we tend to put on in churches. And of course, it all happened just as it was promised. Well, that's it. And when you say that, it's not just the things happened. They happened in the time that it said they would happen, in the way that, you know, all it's these amazing. impossibilities. Yeah. yeah. So... Um, Despite all, like you say, all of this, this came to be and the backbone of the prophecies are from Isaiah, because even as we use other people in this, mm. Isaiah is the man yep. <laughs> and he, uh, his counterparts, his colleagues, uh, they were all in agreement with this. And uh, what makes it amazing is Isaiah really passed away a full century before Israel ceased to exist. Mm -hmm. So there was a lot of stuff yet to go on. And then there would be uh, uh, seven centuries between that time of, of Isaiah, uh, seven centuries to go by where uh, full empires would rise and fall and Things would change. You know, a lot goes on in that time. Mm -hmm. And uh, yet it all happens with the complete accuracy that Isaiah and his, and his counterparts, his, his colleagues in prophecy say. It happens just like they say in real time. Right, so. right. You know, I had forgotten that Isaiah had two sons until yeah. we looked into this. Yeah, right. And I have to say, the names he gave them were real clues, but yeah. very unfortunate names yeah. to give to it's a like, child. Uh, you know, it, this sounds funny, but you remember the old Johnny Cash song? It says, a boy named yeah. Sue. Right, right. <laughs> That's what, all I can picture. I see Johnny Cash singing that song <laughs> with some of these names. Like the first son, not boy so named. bad. Yeah. Boy named. Sheer Jashub. And the thing about that is more the, the ominousness of this name, because his name, um, in a quite a literal sense, meant returning remnant. Hmm. And here you're talking about a time when neither part of Israel even fell. And, so return is a... Uh, yeah, a yeah. return, and then a remnant. Uh, it was just very... But he was named after a prophecy, and to his namesake it came came true the second son was a real important here's the boy named sue okay his name was mahar shalal hasbaz meaning so, yeah that's enough you know so yeah. can you see in school you know you know when they used to i wonder if they still do that you know they'd say your name and you go present do you remember that yeah oh yeah and the teacher click it yeah. out this poor kid sitting there and somebody <laughs> mahar shalal hasbaz a present his name means uh, speed, spoil, haste, booty. It's actually <laughs> so speed, spoil, haste, booty, present. Uh, you know, that just sounds so funny. It's quite a mouthful. So, why these names? <laughs> well, in the names of this, uh, it's funny and yet it's not because, in the meaning, uh, we, we have to go back to the time. The Assyrian uh, Empire was the unstoppable force back in this day. Right. And what had happened is, or what was about to happen was, 
Syria was going to come down with a favorite word of yours, a juggernaut. It was going to come down like this unstoppable force mm -hmm. with such unstoppable speed uh, that it would be Assyria would be that boy's name. They would come down with speed and take the spoils of war and everything. And speaking directly of the northern kingdom of Israel here, that they were just going to take him out. But uh, what was unexpected and seemed impossible was this, is that as powerful as they were, they would get down to the border of the southern kingdom, which would be Judah with Jerusalem right. in it, and they would be stopped cold at that border and never cross the border. It's kind of, it reminds me of like when this whole thing started with Russia is that everybody expected the Ukraine to fall in, in a matter of weeks. Mm -hmm. And here they are about to, looks like, win this battle. Mm -hmm. Well, that's where Judah was. They, they had no chance. And yet this mighty force stops right at the border. The history books would say the earthly reason Assyria would be stopped was because of domestic strife in the empire. But the prophecies reveal that the real reason was the work of God. Yeah, uh, and, and that's where we're going. They, you know, you can read the history books and here's, here are the reasons that happened. But isn't it interesting where these happen, like uh, assassinations and coup attempts that are taking place in the kingdom of Assyria just at the time they reach the border for Judah. It just so yeah. happens, you yeah. know. Yeah, just uh, so happens. <laughs> so depending on how you read, the, and the point that when we read the prophecies is that, yeah, these things really happen in the physical world, but here's the powers uh, in the backdrop making all this happen. Mm -hmm. And the idea of all of it happening, happening was leading to the coming of the Christ. So we have these things that if, if we put ourselves really back in their place and you just looked at these the way some people look at the Bible today, yeah. all you would see is these conflicting claims that were about to come down. Right. And then you asked in the beginning, why did I choose these four? Yeah. One of the reasons is because they're all in conflict with each other on the surface. Uh -huh. So that's, that's kind of where we're going. So uh, that being said, you know, we'll go into remembering that this these things were happening like seven centuries, eight to seven centuries, depending on where we pick up the, the story, uh, before Christ is ever born in a nation that in its structure doesn't even exist in the time of the writing of the prophecies. So, yeah, I hold to my word. These are four amazing <laughs> prophecies. All right. Well, let's dive into them. Okay. Oh, well, yeah, so number one, 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 one. I, you're <laughs> waiting for my big echo thing. Uh, and and uh, we have to say three of them that are conflicting all have to do with where the Messiah yeah. will come That's from. really, yeah. it's going to be cool, guys. All yeah, right, it's, it's number cool. one, the Messiah comes out of Galilee. Isaiah 9, 1 through 7, by the way of the sea beyond the Jordan in Galilee of the Gentiles, the people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. Those who dwell in the land of the shadow of death, upon them a light has shined. Unto us a son is given, and the government will be upon his shoulder, and his name will be called Wonderful, Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and peace there will be no end. Upon the throne of David and over his kingdom, to order it and establish it with judgment and justice from that time forward, even forever. 
Now this here, this is so big, we'll be into this Sunday as well. But just to point out a few little things in here, um, okay. one thing we won't get to mention is um, upon, okay, the throne of David, right? right? So we know that it's fulfilling prophecy there. Mm -hmm. But the kingdom will have no end. It's forever and ever. So there's an eternity to the idea of the kingdom. And right. there's no earthly kingdom that's eternal. So one little clue going on here in the first place is that when we get to the ultimate meaning of this, you're not talking about an earthly kingdom. You're talking a heavenly kingdom because right. every earthly kingdom is finite. So that wouldn't fit. Right. But what's interesting uh, when we look at this, because most of the people, when you read this, they see this. Um, it's read as a, a, a Christmas text all the time. Right. As a Christmas, you know, uh, a, the, a great light has shined and dwelt. Unto and the, us a son some, is given. This yeah. Songs. The songs <laughs> yeah. and everything to this. And there, this is the beauty of this. There's the the big full picture of it, but there's also the immediate picture when people were living in day-to-day -day life, just like we are right now, that right. this had its own meaning. And uh, in the reading, for instance, the people in darkness or in the land of the shadow of the death, uh, like we're thinking of, well, people in darkness, all in nations, uh, that, that's the ultimate meaning of it. But in the context of Isaiah's time, remember there was a northern kingdom, Israel, and a southern kingdom of Judah. Right. And we have Assyria, this mighty, savage empire coming down. They take over very quickly the northern kingdom. And in that time, that's what this prophecy has in the immediate use. You can imagine if you have a savage people come down and take you over, yeah. you've just become a very dark place yeah and you've just become a place in the shadow of death it, mm. it's a very bad thing so what this is pointing out is that the same region that is the first to experience this death from their stubbornness against god will be the same region from which the messiah will come mm. which uh, a term used only once in that you read there only once in the entire Bible and only once used by Isaiah himself is uh, Galilee of the Gentiles. That's uh, an important thing. But anyway, it all points down to how this light will shine by the Messiah in the northern kingdom. So. And as a matter of fact, Matthew 2.23 says, not only will the Messiah come from Galilee, but the town of Nazareth in the region of Galilee. Uh, right. And, and and this is something that w was throwing commentators because they look back in the Old Testament and they say, we can't find where there is a specific prophecy that says Nazareth is the place he's going to come from. And, and so they speculated a few things is one, um, sometimes references. There are a few references we no longer have in our time. But it may come down to the name because Nazareth at the heart of it, it is in fact, for example, the Galilee of the Gentiles in this way. Nazareth, uh, the root word is Natser, mm -hmm. which means essentially gatekeeper. Right. Now, Nazareth sits on uh, Lake Genesaret up there, so if I've got the right spot. But it, up there, it is actually the gatekeeper to the northern sea region up in that area. Huh. So Nazareth fits the description of a Galilee of the Gentiles, because of course, across the sea, the Gentiles would come in through this 
port, if you will, of Nazareth up there. What strikes me is the fact that Galilee exists at all in Christ's time. It was part of the northern kingdom that was wiped out eight centuries before, and yet here it is, the northern northern region of Judea, separated by a non Jewish Samaria. Samaria now, which Samaria became a whole <laughs> right, other thing. Right. Uh, I got to tell you, this is so interesting because I'm still working on how I'm overlay these maps at this time. But I brought up uh, uh, the large satellite photo of the area. And it's interesting. You look down the mountains of Samaria, where Jerusalem is. Of course, it's a whole lot bigger than back in that day. Uh, the northern mountains, what lies all around it, the the topography hasn't changed since the writing of this. Huh. You know, and yeah. it's really something to say. What has happened down there? You could be looking at this photo in over four thousand years of all the different things uh, that have gone on. But the fact is, like you say, you still have a Galilee at all in the right. time of Christ. Right. The odds are kind of astronomical, yep, yep. you know, and you can't help but if if it's the odds are so so great, there's got to be something that made it happen. It's not just by chance. So right. it's pretty amazing stuff. Um, as we learn, Galilee is the northern kingdom, which You're makes right. the next prophecy seem in direct conflict. Yes, number two seems in conflict with number one. The Messiah will come out of Bethlehem. Yeah, Micah. And- yeah, and prove it to us by reading. <laughs> Here it five. comes, the, the <laughs> prophecy, folks. But you, Bethlehem, Ephrathah. Is that, am I saying that right? Ephrathah, Eph- yeah. Ephrathah. Oh, that's a tricky one with mm-hmm. my THs. Um, Though you are little among the thousands of Judah, yet out of you shall come forth to me the one to be ruler in Israel, whose going forth are from of old, from everlasting. Therefore... He shall give them up until the time that she who is in labor has given birth. Then the remnant of his brethren shall return to the children of Israel, and he shall stand and feed his flock in the strength of the Lord, in the majesty of the name of the Lord his God, and they shall abide. And now he shall be great to the ends of the earth, and this one shall be peace. Hmm. Yeah. By the way, why is Bethlehem, Bethlehem called Ephrathah? Yeah, as we looked in that area, that's it's kind of interesting because uh, it almost kind of like a nickname in a way. It's the old name uh, for that area. It used to be called Ephrathah. And as a matter of fact, this is one if for trivia if you want to mention. Even to this day, if you're talking about somebody who's from the region of Bethlehem, mm-hmm. they're called an Ephrathite. Oh. <laughs> somebody from around that's the area. That's interesting. Yeah, and that's because the, that's it was right. called... Ephrathah, which means fruitful. So uh, whether that meant fertile land, uh, we were talking that fruitful um, in an ominous way. It, it, even prophecy is fruitful from Bethlehem. Bethlehem. Yeah, this is, this, that's interesting. If it means fruitful. Yeah, go ahead because you're yeah. going to say Bethlehem means. Uh, means, yeah. It means house of meat, yeah. uh, which makes sense too because especially in those times, uh, it became the key grazing area. As a matter of fact, by the time of Christ, it was um, a lot of the land around Bethlehem had been um, sanctioned or, or or released, whatever, by the temple itself. That's where they would graze their their 
uh, lambs for uh, sacrifice. sacrifice right. So I, obviously there were a bunch of sheep running around. Uh, people <laughs> eat sheep, <laughs> so it yeah. was it was a house of meat. So it became that instead of Ephrathah, which meant fruitful. So okay. Um, well, Bethlehem sits south of Jerusalem, which is in the southern region. So the real question is, how can the Messiah be from both the north and the south? Yeah, because there we have two prophecies. Yeah. He's coming from the north. He's coming from the <laughs> south. How can this really be? Uh, so it's a good question. You could see how it might end up being confusing. But the like prophecy to the end times when he comes, comes yeah, back. Yeah. And, but that's a great point because this we interpolate all and people have all this stuff wired and I say oh yeah just like they did the first time around. Yeah. <laughs> uh, it's not until as we look at it in hindsight how God unfolded event by event you see that oh they really didn't conflict at all yeah. and and so we're going to bounce from Micah back in the you know several centuries ahead and now have you read from Matthew All right. when things are coming together here. And it came to pass in those days that a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be registered. Hmm. This census, which I didn't realize how how yeah, different this was. Yeah, this was kind of a once-in-a-lifetime thing. Yeah. This census first took place while Quirinius. Yeah, good. Whoa, Just was like, governing Syria. Said like a Roman. <laughs> Wonderful. Yeah. <laughs> so all went to be registered, everyone to his own city. Mm. Joseph also went up from Galilee out of the city of Nazareth into Judea to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, mm -hmm. because he was of the house and lineage of David, to be registered with Mary, his betrothed wife, who was with child. Mm. So it was that while they were there, the days were complete for her to be delivered. And she brought forth her firstborn son and wrapped him in swaddling cloths and laid him in a manger because there was no room for them in the inn. Right. And now, of course, those lines there are what most people... Most people remember. What I think what gets lost on us in our day is the great irony. One of the things, irony, I say in this, <laughs> uh, because um, we just, we were watching a, a Roman history uh, a while back when we were looking right. at uh, Augustus. But Caesar Augustus uh, was um, one of the first, as I understand, I'm not, not a history expert on this, but in the Caesars to start taking on the proclamation of divinity. So he was, Caesar became okay. a man-god. Okay. So now the empire of Rome controlled all the known world. Mm -hmm. So if you were the god of the empire, you became savior of the world. In Pax Romana, mm -hmm. basically Romans saw themselves as saviors of the world. They said, we'll beat you senseless if you don't listen to us, but we're pulling all the world together yeah. in a very brutal fashion, but they really did. Mm -hmm. So here is this man, Caesar Augustus, savior of the world, um, who decides to have this census, and it had to be extremely thorough uh, for the God-man, so they would send people back to their place of lineage. Well, Joseph, for whatever reason, he was born in Bethlehem, but he had moved way up north to Nazareth. I don't know, maybe they needed more carpenters up there, I don't know. But he was living up there. That's where his wife was from. That's where they, they were doing their thing. This savior of the world, quote unquote, says, no, you have to do the census, which meant they were forced. They did not do this of their own accord. They were forced 
because of the senses then to go down. Uh, you can imagine, I'm just thinking this, if you look at a map, the extreme north down to well into the south on a donkey when you're mm. nine months pregnant, <laughs> no, I, I can only <laughs> imagine the conversations going on along the way. Stop the donkey, I've got to pee, you know. It's a, the what's going on but they were they were <laughs> i digress don't i yes. <laughs> dangerously <laughs> but here they go all the way down to bethlehem forced to go there uh, and maybe i'm probably not even realized to them they had just fulfilled the prophecy of seven centuries ago mm-hmm. that it was david's city and so it was in David's city and the lineage of David that the Messiah would be born. So by being forced by a pagan God-man, they had just fulfilled the prophecy that God had laid out at the right time. So go yeah. figure, right? Yeah. There we go. Christ being both from Galilee, Galilee and Bethlehem. Both of them. <laughs> Even so, there's still a third conflict to deal with. Right. And this one is makes it even stranger altogether. Yep. So. The Messiah comes from Egypt, number three. Right. Say what? First north, south, and now not even in the country. So, uh, yeah, in in Hosea's, who is a colleague mentioned by Isaiah. So he's he's an important guy. (laughs) Hosea 11, one through five. When Israel was a child, I loved him. And out of Egypt, I called my son. And they called them. So they went. They went from them. They sacrificed to the Baals and burned incense to carved images. I taught Ephraim to walk, taking them by their arms. But they did not know that I healed them. I drew them with gentle cords, with bands of love. And I was to them as those who take the yoke from their neck. I stooped and fed them. He shall not return to the land of Egypt, but the Assyrian shall be his king, because they refused to repent." Right. Now, here's uh, interesting. Of course, Baal's being the false gods. Mm-hmm. Ephraim being the major uh, tribe in the northern kingdom. So Hosea's laying it out here for the northern kingdom before they fall. He's pointing out that they they were given every content. They were given every opportunity to stay right with God, but they refused mm-hmm. to repent, as he says. So there's an immediate situation we're talking we realize as you look at the prophecy coming out of egypt well automatically anybody reads the bible at all oh yes that's when they were saved from the passover coming out of egypt and Mm -hmm. all of that Mm -hmm. but it the even the jewish scholars came to a conclusion that all of this was actually a messianic prophecy as well so you have the immediate context uh that they would have got immediately at the time and then you have this big, larger one, hmm. which basically comes down to this. Not only is the Messiah from the northern region, he, not only is he from the southern region at the same time, now he's not even from in the country. He's from Egypt. So how <laughs> does it all tie together? It wouldn't make sense, once again, unless you saw what unfolded. Right. Yeah. I can imagine trying to make sense of this before it came to pass, but as life unfolds, according to God's will, it makes perfect sense. Right. And then we have Matthew two thirteen through 15. Mm. Now, when they had departed, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream, saying, Arise, take the young child and his mother, 
flee to Egypt and stay there until I bring you word, for Herod will seek the young child to destroy him. When he arose, he took the young child and his mother by night and departed for Egypt, and was there until the death of Herod, that it might be fulfilled, which was spoken by the Lord through the prophet, saying, Out of Egypt I called my son. Right. And now, of course, if we get into Herod, there's a whole other story on um, on, a, on a crazy man. Yeah. <laughs> but the violence we were talking about, once again, not something the family would have all chosen to do. Uh, this was a dangerous trip. Um, right. I can only imagine making it. But it once again, they were they were forced by circumstances that evolved in the time that they did. And they end up carrying out yet another prophecy. Hmm. And now we can we, we see as that we look at all of these, yeah, so that's how he's from the the, the northern kingdom. They they came down from there, forced to Bethlehem. Oh, that's how he's from the southern kingdom. And then of course how he comes from Egypt, but when they come from Egypt too, they return to not back to Bethlehem, but where their business was right. up in the north. Right. So uh, they all come together in a real-life situation. Mm -hmm. But we save the most involved prophecy till the end here that we're going right. to look at. Uh, and actually, when you do read it, you'll find that um, uh, we we backtracked a little to just try and give it a little bit of context. So number four prophecy is... The Messiah is born to a virgin. Okay, this is just the wild and crazy stuff. <laughs> and, and of course, uh, we're going to look at a verse you're going to read that, even though it's 700 years before Christ, even today, you know how you know it's an important verse for Christmas? How do you know it's important? Because you can go into Kroger's and half of the Christmas cards will have this quoted on them. And they'll have, you know, the, with, along with the camels and the wise men, all of you will have this on there. Yeah. You know that it's important when it's on a Christmas card. So there's a, a commentary according to Pastor Kevin. Okay. But where we're getting at this is that the origin, the origin of the prophecy comes from a really dicey time, a really dangerous time. Uh, setting it up, Ahaz, that you're going to mention, is mm -hmm. the king of the southern kingdom right. of Judah and, and Israel. Uh, these guys are holding it together a little better spiritually, but they too have you know, kind of really done it. He's sweating bullets at this time, or maybe we should say sweating arrows because bullets aren't invented yet. But Assyria has already come down. They've already... Uh, these technicalities are important, Kath. You've got to get them in there. <laughs> so the Assyrians have come down. Can you imagine living in a nation, um, this this little nation? You're watching this juggernaut of a, of a, a military power come down. Just wipe out the other half of, of the kingdom you're associated with, even though you're fighting with them. And there they are sitting on your borders. And, and, you know, the end is near. That's a, all yep. I can imagine thinking. Yep. So this is what's going on at the time. Raisin, who you'll mention, is king of Syria. And there they are camped out on the border, uh, right on the doorstep of Jerusalem. Hmm. I imagine you could go up to the walls of, of the city and look out and probably see the campfires out there of the people. I mean, it is doom. I mean, you are toast. You are going to be non-kosher toast by the time this happens. So Isaiah has told King Ahaz this really ridiculous thing. He says Assyria will never enter 
this nation. They will never be. It's going to get taken over, but not by them. Uh, and and it, it just sounds ridiculous. And and Ahaz has a real problem uh, accepting what's being said to him, understandably, if you were looking at it. Mm. And that sets up the whole verse the whole passage you're going to read that includes what we put on christmas cards <laughs> okay isaiah 7 10, see if i can get you all on here 10 through go. 16 moreover the lord spoke again to ahaz saying ask a sign for yourself from the lord your god ask it either in the depth or in the height above but ahaz said i will not ask nor will i test the lord then he said hear now o house of david is it a small thing for you to weary men but will you weary my God also? Okay, so keep this in mind. Just to stop you for a second. Okay. Ahaz uh, can't believe what's... So he keeps looking for affirmation to what what um, Isaiah is telling him. So Isaiah is saying, look... Say what? <laughs> yeah, well, he, he says, you know, God's starting to lose patience with you here. Just ask for a sign. Whatever you want, he'll do it. So, oh, ask for a sign. And it really has more to do with his lack of faith which we can't blame him considering uh, uh, this mighty nation is sitting outside his walls. Right. But that sets up what we put on Christmas cards. Okay. So then he said, Hear now, O house of David, it's a small thing for you to weary men, but right. will you weary my God also? Right. Therefore the Lord himself will give you a sign. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son and shall call his name Emmanuel. Curds and honey he shall eat, that he may know to refuse the evil and choose the good. For before the child shall know to refuse the evil and choose the good, the land that you dread will be forsaken by both her kings. Right, and of course the mm. kings are talking about the king of um, Israel who's at war with them, the northern kingdom, and Assyria itself. Um, some interesting things here. The name Emmanuel in itself, just sharing a little tidbit here, um, Anybody who, you know, you get into studying the words a bit, you, one of the first things you learn is El means God. Right. Every time you see El Shaddai, whatever, mm -hmm. El means God. But uh, what I I hadn't uh, I just kind of relearned or uh, learned is that El also has a specific meaning. It's mighty one. So El is God in respect to God being the mighty one. So when, when we read that says and call his name Emmanuel, it, it literally means the mighty one is with us or the mighty one is among us. So that's the promise. And this is that the virgin shall bear a son who will be the mighty one among us. Now, in, in the, the, once again, there's an immediate implication. Mm -hmm. And then there's the big picture that we put on our Christmas cards. The immediate implication is that what Isaiah is saying is that because uh, the, the virgin can also simply mean a young maiden, somebody who's a, a new mom type of thing. It can mean that. So it means the new mother, that somebody within this time will bear a child uh, and will raise them to toddler age, really, because they'll mm -hmm. know right from wrong a bit. Around toddler when they learn to say no, you know, <laughs> yeah. that type of thing. <laughs> So by the time, so he's really saying within three years, these two armies, uh, uh, Israel uh, up there and then Assyria who's coming down, 
they won't even be here. They won't even be an issue within three years, which huh. would seem utterly impossible. Right. Uh, but it all comes down ultimately to this Emmanuel, the mighty one is hmm. with us. Uh, and, and it's awesome, you know, that it actually, that's it. It comes to pass in the literal sense, both at the time and then uh, in a kingdom that will last forever, as we're talking about, in, in, in a kingdom that will come to exist that doesn't even exist when the prophecy is being made. Hmm. So, uh, yeah, God's working stuff uh, out here, both in the for them, the present and the future, that they have no idea just how big this is. And it would come from an event that happens only once in human history. So, well, let me read Luke 1, um, 34 and 35. Okay. <laughs> and Mary said to the angel, How will this be since I'm a virgin? And the angel answered her, The Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore, the child to be born will be called Holy, the Son of God. Here is something to consider in this is there was actually two words in the Hebrew that can be used here, of course, by the New Testament. It, it, it's, um, it, it's Greek, but even still it trans, transliterates over. There's a word for young woman that can mean virgin, and then there's a word for, no, a virgin in the, in the full clinical sense. And in here we're talking, you know, virgin in the full clinical sense of the word. Uh, so everything rests on this. This is what's important, is that th the, the Messiah to come must somehow be fully human but sinless, mm -hmm. which then involves God himself. So mm -hmm. this Messiah will be fully God, fully man, both and the only way that could happen is if uh, the vessel is is human, uh, but the the fertilizing of the seed is divine. Uh, that doesn't happen anywhere else. Never does. Mm -hmm. It's prophesied there it is. But and you go well. That's just silly. That something like that couldn't happen. And we might be inclined to agree. But there's where all these prophecies come in, is that they were all impossible. It was one impossibility after another, yeah. but it's in the history books how each of these things happen to allow this to even come into existence. So, um, yeah, this this happened just like everything else. It was an impossibility, but hmm. yet it happened. That's pretty amazing. A pretty amazing <laughs> stuff. Well, we only touched on the great prophecy of Isaiah 9-6, but that's mm -hmm. the basis of our featured song this week. And yeah, it really is. The song was penned by Chris Tomlin with his producer Ed Cash and English worship singer-songwriter Matt Redman. The word Noel is derived from the French phrase, Le Bonne Nouvelle, meaning the good news. Tomlin says this about the Christmas album. I recorded the set at Ocean Way Studio in Nashville, a former church, he added. The end result was that the spotlight was not focused on the singer, but rather on the singing. Ironically, the writing process really took several years to come up with the new material, but making the record only took two nights. I can't imagine that. No, well, <laughs> we, <laughs> two years to prepare. Yep. <laughs> yeah. We did it live with about 300 people on hand, and the results were incredible. All of those voices, and if you listen closely to the quieter parts, you can hear floors creaking and other sounds like that. Now, that's on his, mm -hmm. his album. Mm -hmm. <laughs> May Jesus Christ be the good news in your life, and enjoy, and until next week, 
be blessed. Love. 
You can watch Word for the Week at CanaanCommunity.org. You can also catch our live stream on Canaan Community's Facebook, YouTube, or your favorite podcast app.